Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hello everyone and welcome to this week of Scattered. Today we are going to be looking at... (laughs) Sorry guys, I'm like, is it chapter three? Yeah, it's chapter three. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a quite a hectic couple of weeks so we're all glad we're looking at three verses uh three verses in depth and so we're looking at chapter three verses 14 to 16 today and so so far in this book we've been learning that tall uh paul has written this letter to (laughs) timothy (laughs) tall paul not tall paul Paul has been writing this letter to Timothy about issues arising in the church in Ephesus. And he's been giving um, instructions that there are um, false teachers amongst them and instruction on how church leaders should be chosen. And then um, this passage that we're going to be looking at today actually gives us more information about Paul's purpose of writing. So, um, why does Paul write to Timothy? So I, um, yeah, it says, doesn't it here, that he's really hoping to visit Timothy and see him face to face. But if he can't do that, and I guess there were a lot of variables in Paul's life, weren't there? Then he's writing this to explain to Timothy. And I guess we know, don't we, that letters like this were read often to the whole church. So to Timothy and to the whole church, how they should be behaving and what it means to be church. So yeah, how they should behave in the household of God. So I guess that would be the purpose for the whole letter really, isn't it? That um, we've looked at lots of the different problems or issues that there were in the church, but the big picture um, is he's writing to explain how people should behave. And I guess that word behave is probably, uh has negative connotations in our language a little doesn't it because you kind of tell a small child to behave don't you but it's 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 about as we've seen already it's like how things should be conducted it's more that kind of leading isn't it rather than all be quiet and listen to this person and yeah well and it's interesting isn't it that in that first phrase it's in the household of god so it's family language again isn't it that church is family and so it's the sort of family family etiquette and family um, ethos. Well, actually, rules are helpful sometimes, aren't they? Because I feel like... Mary likes likes black and white. Let's just clarify. Mary likes rules. (laughs) But the, the kind of... The word church that's used in this passage is like... It's meant to kind of mean a group of people working together like in those in those days that's what that word would have meant and actually if you are going to work together well you kind of need rules don't you because that's just how we work as humans if we're all kind of doing our own thing and abiding by our own rules it just um it just doesn't work does it it's like we're going to move on to talk about truth aren't we and if we all have our own truth then things don't work well together but if if there is one truth then it helps so yeah, I don't really mind rules when it helps things to work well. <laughs> Some rules I don't like. <laughs> yeah, and I think especially when the rules given are given by the one who's made you and has 
lovingly wants you to the best for you and so actually i think often we're we feel like oh why is there this rule as in it's trying to control me but actually this is a rule that gives you freedom freedom to live in a way that's actually the best and what was originally intended for you so it's instead of trapping you it's meant to release you to be able to uh, love God and love others properly. Um, I, I know Linda always says, and it's really helpful to me, that actually almost God's rules, if we want to use that word, it's like a TARDIS. Once you step inside of it, it's so much bigger and more spacious and more life-giving than you ever imagined. You know, we, we think of authority or rules so negatively in our culture, don't we? But I find that a really helpful picture of once you step inside and get your head around God's um, wisdom, it is so spacious and life-giving. So he, here in these verses, Paul uses quite a few different ways to describe the church. What sort of things did you find out about those different phrases? Yeah. Mm, yeah. So it, it talks about it being the household of God, doesn't it? Which, again, it's it's more of a family feel, isn't it? And then the church of the living God. Um, and like we said before, the church being a group of people who work together for a purpose. Um, and then a pillar. And in the ESV, it says buttress. Buttress is a pillar and a buttress. I think foundation would be another word. Yeah, um, of the truth. Okay, and I think that's really important in his uh, in his thinking. He kind of works through these words, and then buttress of the truth. I think is or foundation of the truth is important. I was really struck when I was thinking about the household of God that I think the danger can be um, in church settings that we think of it especially I guess here is like oh it's Jumpy's church so Jumpy makes the rules and Jumpy makes the decisions and I think as I was reading this I was it's really helpful to think no like we shouldn't talk about church in those terms should we in the terms of whoever the leader is that's just a role that God's given within his household and so the leader of the church is God not anybody not even the elders that we've like we've just looked at the role of elders but actually it's God's church and he's the one that um, calls the shots. Mm. And uh, yeah, it, I was just challenging how we refer to church. Let's make sure we refer to it as God's household rather than giving too much credit to any one leader because that is a bad place to go. Yeah, I would actually say that in my experience of not in my experience, but in my observation of church leaders who have kind of had these giant falls from grace, it has often been a church leader with a big name, hasn't it? Like, obviously, that's obvious because I wouldn't have heard about it otherwise. But actually, I do think there's a danger in an actual church leader making a big name for himself. Um, and there's, you know, there's a there's a huge um, way to fall. There's a huge distance to fall from that kind of position, isn't it? And probably lots of temptation and stuff so yeah I guess it's challenging isn't it like in our ministry are we making a name for ourselves or are we trying to make a name for God like do we want people to like us 
or do we really honor him as the the head of our church and the head of our ministry yeah and it's a big big responsibility isn't it because it's your sort of representatives of God or people under his so how the world views um the church is so is so important like we've seen previous weeks that we want the church to be a place where people can see um God's work being done in lives in our lives and also um just the gospel being displayed in many ways in our behaviors as well I think his emphasis on church of the living God is important as well for that context because obviously there was a lot of kind of gods in inverted commas around and you know Paul's emphasis on that is on that God is living he's not an idol he's not something you just put in your home and worship like he's a living God who indwells and moves by his spirit um and he defines what truth is um rather than I guess in 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 those days as well, there was a lot of, in a, in a place like Ephesus, there was a lot of like truths in inverted commas kind of being thrown around. Like there is in our day too, like this is my truth. Um, but yeah, when we submit ourselves to the living God, we also submit ourselves to the truth that he gives us. Um, and sometimes that's hard, isn't it? When there's bits of it, like for example, the you know, submission within the Trinity, submission within the church, submission within family, like when that's a truth that he gives us, it's hard to submit to that sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, I find that phrase, Church of the Living God, really helpful in just raising the bar of what happens on a Sunday when we gather as the church, that it's not just us coming together as people, but actually God is living amongst us and he's present with us in a really precious way as the church gathers together. And yeah, I just thought I need to be thinking about that more on a Saturday night and a Sunday morning, that there's a really precious sense in which God dwells with his people as we gather to worship him. And just it just raises our expectation, doesn't it, of what's happening on a Sunday, that when we go to church, God's they're living and wanting to meet with us and um yeah I just think I need to be thinking about that more week by week so that my um expectations are right on a Sunday and then the final well the last way that is described is this pillar and buttress of truth I think we've seen repeated repeatedly in this in this letter is the theme of that actually what we believe impacts what we do. And so there's, uh, as we cling to the truth, as we learn true doctrine that has an actual impact on our lives and how we conduct ourselves. I find it helpful thinking a little bit about what a pillar does and what the buttress or the foundation of a building does as sort of thinking through what, yeah what it is that the church has to do with the truth and I guess like the buttress or the foundation that protects and guards the building doesn't it so I guess part of the church's job is to protect and guard the truth but the pillar just like lifts up the roof and it, it sort of who, nobody really cares about the pillar but it's the roof that it's there to support and to lift high and so in some ways that 
I think is a picture of the way that we're supposed to um, proclaim the gospel and lift it up. And so, yeah, as I was thinking about those two different parts of a building, I was like, that's really helpful. Those two things that the church's role is, isn't it? That we have to protect and guard the truth, but we've also got to lift it up and proclaim it. So um, moving on to verse 16, is that okay? <laughs> yeah, so moving on to verse 16, uh, we then faced with um, this verse. Let me read it to you. So great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then in, in quotation, it's sort of quoted as he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up in glory. So looking at the first part um, of this, what is this, or looking at all together even, what is the mystery of godliness? Yeah, I was quite struck by this because the if we were to say to somebody today, well, what's the mystery of godliness? I think we would presume that meant acting in a certain way or morality or being good. <clears throat> but I think here it's really striking, isn't it, that Paul links godliness to what we believe and to truth about Jesus and who he is and what he's done and how I guess he's brought us into relationship with God. So it's it's really striking that you would expect this tend to be a list of things to do, wouldn't you? But actually it's truths to believe that Jesus has done. And so the mystery yeah. of God is what we believe, isn't it? Rather than how we live. And it links back to the um, pillar and buttress of truth and I guess he's he's saying this is what that truth is that that is our faith and um yeah like this is what holds up the tr the church this the, these truths are what hold up God's church um and it's all about Jesus isn't it if you look at it um it's all about Jesus and so uh, lots of people think this little section if you actually read it um it's it looks different to the rest of the text it's kind of in a different format because um i think lots of people think it would have been some kind of um song or confession that the early church would have said together or sung together Hold um, the form, Mary. Kind of are you are you saying that the early church had some liturgy i love liturgy i hope you're not i hope you're not doubting that i'm a big liturgy fan <laughs> oh, but um, I, I, we, I think we skip over that don't we and we don't often mm. stop and think oh wait a minute this was some mm. sort of creed or statement of faith that they probably said together wasn't it I think yeah we, exactly before I studied this passage I would have had a very different view I, I wouldn't have really thought that that was part of early church worship but I think this shows us that they did have some statement of faith didn't they almost that they read together yeah it's brilliant and I think you know how important for the early church to have that written down and you know for everyone to know it um yeah I'm a huge fan of liturgy for that reason like it it cements in us and in our minds and hearts what we believe and even if sometimes when we say it you know we're kind of I think lots of 
people don't like liturgy because they feel like it's, you know, kind of stony, kind of just reciting something. And actually it can be that, but it doesn't need to be that. Like it's beautiful truth. Um, and really repeating it in our lives is really helpful to our hearts, even when we don't realise it. Amen, sister, preach it. In in this, the translation that we have, I feel it, it's a little unclear unless we do have some kind of um, commentary or um, explanation of what is said. Um, because I think even with the commentators, they have different, they attribute different meanings to different parts. So I, was, I thought it might be helpful just walking through it a little bit um, and seeing what you, you found. So what did you guys find for um, manifested in the flesh so many different views aren't there on this that I, re I read quite a few different things but i guess one of the simple explanations for that was just talking about the incarnation and the fact that god um deigned to become man and to manifest himself in the flesh so yeah i think probably it's jesus becoming man manifested is a bit of a strange word isn't it is it there is. another word like i've got the ac here but just do any other translations give a more like helpful word? It's not unhelpful, but you know, one that we <laughs> one that we normally use. I guess words like shown or revealed would be other words that I think might you could put in, maybe. I mean, we're assuming here, aren't we, that the he uh is Jesus, right? As in God the Son. Yeah, the yes. so I think this phrase has echoes of john one you know the word was made flesh i think we're supposed to mm. see the link there and the nod to that sort of explanation of jesus's incarnation and this next line vindicated by the spirit is also a little confusing isn't it but i think another word that people use here is justified by the spirit and it's not that jesus was sinful and needed justification but that he, a bit like, I think we're meant to think back to when Jesus was um, baptised and, you know, it's kind of a, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I think it's that picture of like Jesus being shown for who he is by the spirit. Do you know that's right? Yeah, but yeah, but I guess that ultimately happens at the resurrection, doesn't it? I guess Jesus's vindication mm. of the spirit, there's, there's, yeah, there's pointers of that all the way through his ministry in the miracles as well. But ultimately that happens when he's raised, isn't it, and conquers death. Um, and then next it says seen by angels. And I think that's that's not really contested unless you found a contested. And um, I think that was in reference to him being seen in victory in heaven after the resurrection and i don't know if you have alternative mm. explanations to that um sorry the geeky english part of me um saw how actually there's three couplets here <laughs> sorry and in each of those couplets it's important that both the sort of fleshly part of jesus's ministry and and then the spiritual part is emphasized and so in that first couplet, he was manifested in the flesh, but vindicated by the spirit. Here he's seen by angels, which would be the spiritual side, but proclaimed among the nations. 
And then in that in the last couplet, he's believed on in the world and taken up in glory. And I, yeah, I just think there's something there about Jesus was very fleshly, human. <clears throat> um, his ministry is very um, impactful for the world. And yet it's also such a spiritual thing. And so the, the other way of reading it, I think, is that sort of three couplets where there's that emphasis on flesh and spirit in each of those couplets. Sorry, I feel like I've taken Hermione's role there. <laughs> so um, what about the, should we look at the proclaimed amongst the, um, among the nations and believed on in the world? What do you think those, that last couple, triplet is it triplet the last <laughs> the last couplet or the last um part of that section i guess that's referring to sort of what we would look on as the acts of the apostles isn't it and that jesus is name and fame being spread across the world and something i read said you know yeah paul was really involved wasn't he in that proclamation among the nations but actually there was a prophetic sense in which believed on in the world because they didn't they didn't live to see the full extent of that and yet you know it was a massive deal wasn't it that Jews and Gentiles believed in this Jewish messiah and so yeah that was um a real sense of um yeah a confident expectation that God was going to spread this news across the whole world and then finally, we look at the passage, um, the part taken up in glory. Mary, did you read anything? Yeah, John Stott says that this is in reference to the ascension. Um, and kind of, so I'm just going to read what he says because he says it better. Um, his ascension foreshadowing his final epiphany in power and great glory. So you can kind of take the, the six line, the six lines of kind of poetry or song, whatever it is in chronological order, he thinks. Um, and so this makes sense as like, you know, he rose in glory and then he will appear in glory um, again. So um, what challenged you um, in this passage I guess the, the thing that I've been sort of thinking on this week and challenged by is the fact that actually it's truth, isn't it, that unites us as um, a church and that is actually really necessary if we're going to have a common life together. And so actually these truths about Jesus are the thing that enable us to be the household of God, enable us to be the church of the living God, <clears throat> where he dwells amongst us, as we centre our lives and our hearts on the truths of the gospel, because that's what unites us. And especially in a church like St. Clement's at the moment, which is so diverse, different cultures, different backgrounds, like when we don't, we're not the same, we don't feel the same, we don't express ourselves in the same way. And so we need truth don't we to unite us and to express our common life together and so I guess I've just found this passage really helpful as a reminder of that that it's the truth which enables us to be the church and I guess linking to that so I'm living in a culture at the moment where I find 
the majority of people around me think that my religion is kind of lesser um, and uh, it's been diluted and changed and you know the word of God has been changed and things and they'll say that to my face um, and I guess coming back to this and just again being like this is this is God's revealed truth um, and it is true and that's that really matters and it really matters that I keep uh, being true to it in my life like even if I can't outwardly say no you know you're wrong or whatever just being true to it by the way I live I think one of you know the big thrusts of this letter is that we should live what we believe so if I'm living what I believe and also I know what I believe and I have that as a real foundation in my life and a buttress (laughs) in my life then yeah it will speak to the people around me um clearly uh even if I can't always tell them it straight as I would like to (laughs) yeah and I think that's important when we see how Paul doesn't really have one priority of us knowing truth and us acting in a um in good conduct he kind of holds them together and so it's really helpful that we hold them together in our hearts that it's not just about what right things we're believing but actually the right things the right way of how we live our lives is equally as important to god in uh sharing the gospel with those around us and um proclaiming him um and so yeah i I found that actually for us even living in a different place people are watching our lives constantly and seeing how Mm -hmm. different we are and actually just as much as we say what we say they're seeing what we do and if that's in, in line with what we're saying and so it's really um yeah i found it really helpful just not to be just concerned about what what we're thinking but also both how we're living our lives as well and i guess another way that we do that is it's it's possible isn't it to consent to truth or to hold truth but in a really cold way and actually yeah how how can we help each other and what does it look like to cultivate a real joy in these truths so that our hearts are really rejoicing in those truths and so then actually we live then out of that joy don't we in a a different way than well I'm going to say the creed this morning because that's what we do on a Sunday and you know all those bad things about liturgy that we've um recoiled from in the past and yet yeah I guess it's our responsibility isn't it to make sure that these truths are filling us with joy and that's when we then live differently isn't it and that's when our lives are attractive Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can I share? So this last week, I've been, I've had the pleasure of having my mum visit with the rest of my family. And I've really seen how the community of uh, sisters in Christ that I've made here has really supported me in finding ways to be bold to share with my mum. And mm-hmm. it's like an active way of, you know, it's not just me sharing, it's us praying for each other and encouraging each other and having that kind of accountability to be brave enough to share and it's really hard 
And so I'm really, mm. yeah, seeing how not just me as an individual holding on to these truths and acting, but actually how we can help each other as a community do that, to do that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a beautiful illustration of the church, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> on that note, <laughs> we look forward to, um, yeah, looking at more of First Timothy with you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.